I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. No Steve today on a Wednesday. Unusual, but it's because tomorrow we're going to have the great Dane Brugler on to talk through his draft guide, his draft takes, all things draft. So, Mike, you're in the chair again today. How's it going? Doing fantastic. Uh, I cannot compete with Dane's draft guide. That thing is an absolute treasure trove of good nuggets. <laughs> I almost feel like I don't know what the policy is on stealing nuggets that someone else like has, right? But I steal nuggets from it. I'll just say it right now, Dane. I'm sorry. I, I am going to steal the best nuggets from your draft guide. It is crazy. Um, it feels in some ways when you look through it and read. Well, so number one, the depth and the breadth of the thing is madness. Like he goes, mm. I think ten deep in long snappers, twenty deep in punters and kickers. Like that's. We haven't mentioned a kicker, punter, or long snapper during this entire pre-draft process, nor do I expect us to start beyond this particular sidebar. Um, but also, when you start reading like the sort of entries for individual players, it almost feels like a bit. You know, he's like this guy born in this town in this hospital on you know a, the Sabbath with a, a, a half moon. You're like, come on, this is, this can't be real. Like how he gives this like astrological full signage, like yeah. his moon sign, his star sign. <laughs> like I, I copied the first line of the uh, the Bryce Young thing when I was talking to somebody about it. I can't find it right now, but it's crazy. It's like it feels like it's a joke, and yet it isn't. Like this is just the depth he goes to on every NFL player. Yeah, this one. Here we go. Bryce Young. Quote, Bryce Young, an only child, was born in Wynwood, Pennsylvania, just outside Philadelphia at Lake Canal Hospital. Like, and that was just the start of it. Then he goes into, you know, actual biographical background. His parents screwed up not having another child. If, <laughs> if your one guy that you got was Bryce Young as an athlete, maybe you should have had another. What there. if the second one would have been Mom six and three? Dad. The second one could have been well, six three two twenty, and then we wouldn't have this conversation. I know. Come on. It's like the Mannings. The second one's maybe a little bit slower, <laughs> but he ends up winning two rings still. Um, so today's show, we're going to be talking about these size outliers, guys like Bryce Young. There seems to be a lot of them in this draft. Um, 
a ton of these smaller guys in particular. We're going to run through an article or two on PFF.com talking about those guys. Um, we're also going to talk about players worth trading up for because I did a mock draft on Monday and I had a few trades up. Obviously, there's the quarterbacks at the start, but actual non-quarterback players that I think teams are going to start to target trading up, particularly in that second half of the first round. I think we're going to see a bunch of that. And then I asked Twitter this morning and the chat box, maybe we'll throw some of these in as well, but who is this year's Cole Strange, right? The random ass guy that's supposed to go in the third round or something. Everybody's talking about as a mid-round pick right now who somebody is going to pull the trigger on in round one, and we are all going to see our minds blown. There's going to be one of those. So Twitter has given me a bunch of uh, responses. I'm going to pitch them to you. And in this world of, you know, nobody saw Cole Strange coming, I still want to get your reaction on a spectrum of, yeah, you know, I can kind of see how that works too. Not a chance in hell that one is going to happen. So Okay, I like that. that. I like this. I'm I'm excited for that. Um, Before we get to that, the PFF NFL podcast is, of course, sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash pff all right mike you want to get into the uh, the size outliers thing so yes let's do it what the hell is happening this year with all these crazy small people <laughs> i will say though there also is a size outlier on the larger side okay dewan jones true ohio state offensive tackle should be noted that he's the biggest human being that's going to grace an nfl field i mean daniel Fahale was heavier but Dewan Jones is like massive yes. in terms of seven five wingspan. So he's the big outlier. But then you have probably like a half dozen guys who are going to be like the smallest drafted player at their respective position in any time in recent memory. With the first one being Bryce Young, you know the talk of the draft. It is kind of insane just how little he is. Yeah, you know it's he looks like. And he looks like a high school prospect kind of out there. It, he really does not look like how a quarterback looks and yeah, he's been hitting the weight room this spring. And as pro day, he looks, he did look bigger than that picture you saw right there, but any weight he puts on at this point, I think it's safe to say it's not going to be, it's not going to get him into NFL quarterback territory. It's just too far behind the curve uh, that his success is whatever it is, good or bad will obviously be a massive outlier at the position because of just how unique his size is yeah i mean the 204 pounds thing like i've been using 185 190 as a baseline that was effectively his playing weight at alabama that's what he's going to be at the next level maybe he can add a tiny bit of muscle but it's not like he was in a bad program with no kind of weight room and no you know nutrition and it's like that was one of that's one of the most impressive yeah. programs in the country. We're talking about a sort of Devontae Smith situation where this is what he is, right? Maybe he can pack on like the difference between the two is that Bryce Young spent this offseason trying to get to two oh four by the combine, whereas Devontae Smith set a stall out immediately and went, I weigh one sixty six, that's what you're signing up for. Deal with it and didn't try and put on twenty pounds before the combine. So like Bryce Young is is 5'10 and a quarter, which is shorter than me. Um, 
and he's probably 185, 190 when he steps on an NFL field, which is incredibly lightweight. And I, I, we've talked about this before. When you go to the combine, when you go to the Super Bowl, and you're in this giant media room with all these former NFL quarterbacks, the one thing you notice is how freaking huge all those guys are, right? Boomer Esiason, mm-hmm. Carson Palmer, Ryan Leaf, these guys are all 6'5", you know, massive human beings. They're standing next to me, and I get made to look like a child, and then I'm Bryce Young's size. So mm-hmm. by definition, this guy is nowhere near the baseline of NFL quarterback. Yeah, but I, I still – two things. One, it, to get to, like, elite level, though, like the top-end guys, they're all outliers in some way, right? Like you, you have to have something just different about you to get to that caliber of player. Um, and two, like if he wasn't 5'10", 204 pounds, which is what he came in at the combine, I, I think we'd be talking about him in an air that rivals that of Trevor Lawrence because this guy was, for his entire career, in that realm of performance, right? Like he, he led the number one high school team in the country. He was the number one recruit, 20th recruit all time by 247 Sports. The, the number one quarterback recruit in that class, only Brian Brzee was higher uh, on most boards in that class. So number one recruit, goes to Alabama, wins a Heisman the first year, beats the best defense in modern college football history, and comes back and returns and is still you know the highest graded quarterback of the bunch here. Obviously has a little bit of a down year considered, but like, Trevor Lawrence, it was better than Trevor Lawrence's final year at Clemson and better than like even his sophomore year at Clemson. Like this, this guy was from a performance aspect in a realm that is like few have touched truthfully over the course of their high school and collegiate careers. Yeah. I mean that, so the bringing up the Georgia thing is really interesting because that's like the game that's being held up as the CJ Stroud, the, the thing people use to go at bat for CJ mm-hmm. Stroud. Look what he did against Georgia. Incredible, amazing performance, answered all his questions. Well, the year before, Bryce Young played Georgia twice, right? The, the best defense that we've ever seen. And okay, the second one wasn't the best game in the world, but he put up like almost 800 yards, four touchdowns in two games against what is effectively the greatest defense that college football has ever seen, stacked full of NFL first round defensive linemen all, or defensive players and looked good doing it. Yeah, and, and honestly, they probably win that natty if Jameson Williams and John Mechie don't go down with ACLs in both those games. Right. You know, they just had no one by the end of that. And I think he made, there was like a throw he made at the end of that game that got dropped or was like a contested throw that could have been caught that got dropped because like you was thrown to nobody's by the end of that game. So yeah, Bryce Young, it's just difficult to use that size too much against him with, how different his on-field performance has been from everyone else in this draft class. And to compare the Stroud game, Georgia had five more first-rounders on the defense the year before, right? <laughs> they lost five first-rounders, and one of them wasn't even Nicobe Dean, yes. right? Nicobe Dean was on that team right. and ended up being a third-rounder. They lost an insane amount of talent from last year and this year. Still great defense this year, still obviously great performance from Stroud, but a different animal than what Georgia was doing in 2021. It seems. Yeah, it is crazy. All right, let's move to a different player. We, we've talked about the, the Bryce Young thing a lot already. Talk to me about Tank Dell, because I love Tank Dell as a player, but 5'8", 165 pounds, there, there's, not, there's no getting away from that. I mean, that's, that's insane. That's, that's the same weight as Devontae Smith, but 5'8", instead of six foot. Yes. I mean, so it's it's not completely unprecedented size in terms of 
guys to make the NFL. Like Tutu Atwell was a little smaller. Um, Deshaun Jackson was in that realm coming out. He was 5'9", 169. Hollywood Brown came out in the 160s, but he was like 5'10", 5'11", range. So it happens, right? We've seen guys around this realm, but not quite that small and not quite like as productive as he was. He led college football in yards this past year and led college football in touchdowns. And that was in an offense where obviously like people knew it's going to tank Dell. Right. And you would think, you know, if you can, if 165 pounder, if you know that he's getting the ball a lot, you're going to go try to beat him up a little bit, right? You're going to try to get hands on this guy, knowing that's like his kryptonite and guys just couldn't. And so I think that's the, the big thing in the NFL today that like size matters when you're touched, but if you can't get touched, it doesn't really matter, and size doesn't matter anymore to in terms of like going over the middle of the field like it once did because you just can't crown those dudes. You really right. can't lay shots on them the way you once could. So, you know, a smaller slot receiver like that probably didn't exist 25 years ago in the NFL, but now it's really just that you almost want – I don't want to say you want skinnier guys, but you just – you trade off dynamism for size – every day of the week in the NFL nowadays. It's such an important point that a lot of the reason that you didn't have these really small receivers back in the day or that they didn't last very long just doesn't exist anymore. You cannot hit these guys the way you did. I retweeted a video that somebody posted last night, one of those sort of vintage football accounts of Brett Favre seemingly trying to kill Don Beebe over the course of a game against Detroit. Like, led him into multiple hospital appointments. Somehow, Beebe gets up, they give him the smelling salts, and he plays on each time. But, like, the first throw on this on this uh, reel was Favre, like, leading him into a death shot from the backside safety. There was one later on where Favre, like, bounces around, buys some time in the pocket, throws an absolute YOLO ball down the field. Again, like, death shot into the free safety coming over. You can't do that anymore. Like, that, you, you literally can't make those hits in today's NFL. So those are, like, two shots that a guy like BB takes in that game that Tank Dell's just not exposed to anymore. Like, it's not a It really is striking. And I obviously was, like, kind of right on the precipice age-wise to, like, get a taste of that era but not remember it super-duper well. Obviously, I was, like, you know, 8, 9, 10. Going back and watching just the vast difference of what it looked like back then in terms of the legality, where it was just, like, a quarterback gets the ball off, if you had beaten your offensive lineman, yeah. <laughs> you were getting a shot in the quarterback. You know, like it didn't matter. You got that shot over the middle of the field. It didn't matter if that ball was coming high. The safety was coming high too, right into your helmet. And it, no flags thrown. That was just the game back then. So uh, obviously I think the advancements are make it more enjoyable in terms of points being scored, in terms of passing, proliferating around the NFL. But that, that physicality was a different animal back then. It was just a vastly, vastly different game. And I think that is relevant for a lot of these guys. I mean, Tank Dell is the one we've highlighted, but you can also pull up, you know, Josh Downs, Jordan Addison, um, Zay Flowers. Like all, there's a lot of these guys towards the top end of this draft who are a lot more lightweight than is sort of prototypical size wise, but you can survive and thrive both at the college and the NFL level because of these rule changes and the fact that they're not going to be led into hell by the quarterback. Yeah. And it's, it's like, that's what you want. That's what, that's what Miami is right now. 
Well, it actually, yeah, for a wide receiver in particular, it, you, it, there's a way where those guys are now super valuable because, you know, you couldn't have a guy, you go back to that Brett Favre era or before, if you had a guy that was 5'9", 165 pounds, but like lightning quick and, you know, able to make crazy plays with the ball in his hands, well, okay, fine, but you couldn't really get the ball in his hands without risking getting him killed. So the, the, the level of impact that, that guy could make was minimal, right? Like, do you really want to carry a roster spot for a guy that you can only get the ball in his hands a couple of times in a sort of safe manner? Everything else is risking having him broken for the year and he's probably done. Or do you just go, no, we need a bigger guy that can take these hits and maybe we lose a little bit on the the dynamism range, but like that's the better play here. Now you can actually take advantage of those guys because you you're not exposing them to the kind of shots that they used to be exposed to and all of a sudden there is a world where these tiny guys you know Deontay Hardy or whatever in the NFL these really small receivers can make plays without the risk of being destroyed every single game and it's fun it's fun to watch um what about the cornerback position because we've got a guy Emmanuel Forbes who is pushing that world as well six feet but again in that 166 165 pound range which yeah, the last corner, I guess, that was in that world was also Mississippi State. It was Cameron Dantzler. Yeah, but even Dantzler. So Dantzler had a good amount of weight even on him. Uh, I think it was 175 coming out. But that you, was – You have so Manuel Forbes. A, yeah, Dantzler had a really weird pre-draft process, though. Right? Yeah. Like he was – he's probably a 160-something pound guy who added muscle and then ran like a hippo in like his pre-draft workout and then now you're like well okay is he slow or is he fast but like really thin which is it uh he was slow is <laughs> was the ultimate and got cooked a little too much on an NFL field but I will say this Forbes I think can get around it because he's not slow you know he ran a four three five but he will be the lightest corner drafted since 2000 by five pounds I think Rashard Robinson was the next closest uh, at 171 and even he was like not great in the nfl obviously um and then you'll be the lightest day one or day two corner because i fully expect him to go in that range right uh could even sneak into again the first round by 10 pounds by 10 pounds that's 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 like one of the bigger outliers truly in this draft class and and for the same reasons we're talking about size not mattering as much for wide receivers just the ability to stick with the guys i I think that's like a similar case to be made for corners trending smaller too like you your your physicality doesn't really matter when you're matched up with a jalen waddle or a tank dell if you can't touch them uh forbes forbes has kind of the dynamism or the explosiveness and like the athletic traits to match a guy like that then so I, i do think he will get bodied around a little bit by more physical wide receivers, yeah. but he's so long and so athletic that I'm not too worried. I'm not, I, I don't think he goes the full cam dance route and just can't play at the NFL level. Uh, I think it matters in some ways, but I think he also is enough of a playmaker to get by. And he fights as well. Like you can see it on his tape, but he battles through the size deficiency sometime, but for him, you're basically talking about a cornerback version of Devontae Smith. I mean, six foot, 166 pounds, yeah. almost identical um, breakdown. And when we, when Devontae Smith was coming out, like we were talking about how unprecedented that was. And this is at a position where it's more unprecedented. Like wide receiver is trending smaller than corner generally. 
Uh, so it's it's even more of an outlier for Forbes at corner. You can definitely see some plays on his tape where like he has to put a lot into staying as physical as he is, you know, when he's sort of running and just get trying to maintain contact on a bigger wide receiver. He, he has to put a lot of effort into that contact because otherwise he's just going to bounce off a dude that outweighs him by 40 pounds. Yeah, I am. Um, he is going to be, I think, a really good sort of uh, – case study in that if he succeeds the NFL level, maybe you start seeing a lot more guys at the cornerback position start to get trimmed down a little bit just because of, you know, again, we're talking about the whole theme here, where the game's going. So he's interesting because, you know, he's rail thin, cornerback version of Devontae Smith, but you've got a couple of really sort of short, small corners as well in uh, Trey Tomlinson. We've made that change officially, TCU cornerback. Um, and Clark Phillips, these two sort of much smaller, lightweight corners as well that are presumably going to kick inside to the slot at the next level. Yeah, Phillips is, to me, kind of like he's within the realm of most slot corners. He's 5'9", 184, short arms, 29 and an eighth inch. That's like the profile over the past decade or so of guys that you're saying, okay, that's a slot. Whereas Travis Hodge Tomlinson, like he, he's even he takes that to another degree in that he's under five foot eight, hundred under one hundred eighty pounds. Like he is tiny, but the difference being Phillips was kind of a meh athlete at the combines pro day, four five one forty, thirty three inch vertical, four two one shuttles a solid time. But like that's that's not making me encouraged about him staying on the outside. Whereas Hodge Tomlinson, in certain schemes, I mean he had eleven foot broad jump. He ran four four one. He, he looks like or just at least test like. High end athlete. So um, I think even though Tomlinson's a smaller one, I think he's the one more adept or has the skill set that could translate better to the outside. Whereas Phillips, I think you're firmly, if you're drafting Clark Phillips, you're either moving him to safety or you're putting him in the slot next season. Um, now let's move on to not necessarily a size outlier, though one of these guys is, but an arm length outlier as well. So one, I think, on either side of the, the, the line of scrimmage. We've got Peter Skaronsky, who we've talked about before, 32 and a quarter inch arms, or 32 and a half inch arms, right? Um, quarter. Quarter, which are basically as small as you're going to find any tackle in the NFL that's had any kind of success. And it's actually well below that 33 inch cutoff that most people would like to see. And then the other side, Kalijah Kansi's talked about as a size outlier for being six foot one, 281 pounds. But honestly, his bigger problem may be. The fact that his arms are short he's got 30 under 31 inch arms which is absurdly short and significantly shorter than aaron donald the guy that he's going to get all the comps to because undersized defensive tackle from pit let's start with Kansi. how much of a problem yeah. is it going to be that he has real t-rex arms it, it is yeah that's the biggest worry it's not the weight it is the arm length because you know, your your run of the mill guard in the NFL is over thirty two inches. You're giving up an inch and a half, and now it you know, may not seem like a ton, but that's that's a lot when you're just talking about touching the guy across from you consistently, which is you know, football, which is trench play. It is a lot of hand interactions, hand to hand combat, and when you are always behind the eight ball in terms of your arm length you're just going to get locked up a lot more. It's going to make it difficult to get off blocks. He, he just has to play a different game. He, he can't stack shed the way 
you know, a Jordan Davis would, or, or that's obviously a terrible comp, but even like the way Aaron Donald can, right? Aaron right. Donald could still hold a block and then get outside and then sh- shed offensive linemen and get and make a play. Can't see, you do not see that, right? You, you just don't see him sitting on a guard in the run game and then shedding and making a play. It's like, no, he gets around the guard immediately or else when he gets on him, he has to uh, do something a little different to get off that block than your run-the-mill defensive tackle would. And that's why you're probably going to see teams afraid, or not afraid, but just like a lot of teams don't want that. They don't want to have to make exceptions for a defensive lineman with their rules of how they play run defense. But with Canty, you you have to with that arm length. It's just not enough for him to be able to play the same stylistically that uh, most defensive tackles would. It's such a wild profile because obviously you've got the 40-yard dash in the 99th hundredth percentile, uh, the 10-yard split, the 95th percentile. But the thing that you think of as as his outlier, his sort of overall size, weight amongst defensive tackles is only the 19th percentile. Like it's small, but it's not completely unprecedented. I've never seen this before. Height, 13th percentile, but the arm length is the third percentile. Like that is basically... <laughs> This doesn't exist in the NFL. And if you're going to be that guy, you need to have something pretty special you're bringing to the table, which he does. I mean, you know, basically as fast a 40 as you're ever going to see. Incredible get off. I think his tape shows, you know, a lot more sophisticated uh, hand use and ability to shed blocks than some uh, pass rushing defensive tackles. Obviously not Aaron Donald, but there's enough there that you can go to bat for that and say, you know, I'm willing to gamble on this guy, even though he's he's rocking 30 inch arms. Yeah, but he will. There has not been a starter in the past decade with that defensive tackle with under 31 inch arms in the NFL. So it's it's fairly unprecedented. The last guy, I think I went back, the last defensive tackle who was either a day one or day two pick with that short of arms was Chris Zorich in 1992. Wow. I want to say coming out of Notre Dame. So. <laughs> It's been a while, and Zorich was a better college player than he was an NFL player also. All right, Nolan Smith is the next one, I think, the last one that we want to talk about. Six foot two, 238 pounds as an edge rusher. That is insanely lightweight. Um, and because he played on Georgia, it's not like he sort of played, you know, 800 snaps in a season where you get to see a ton of tape of him uh, dominating and overcoming and putting up the kind of production that would make you immediately go, don't care the entire Georgia defensive line is so deep that they're all working on this crazy rotation where everybody is a kind of bit part player. Yeah. Can I, can I go back to Skaronsky first? Just because we kind of glossed over him. I just have a quick sure. little anecdote. Um, Paul Alexander, former Bengals offensive line coach. Um, I was talking to him at the senior bowl, kind of about arm length. And he said he used to want 35 inch arm tackles when he was starting in the nineties, because back then defensive ends, were 280 plus pounds and every single week you had to run block a 280 plus pounder and then hold up to their bull rushes and so you had to have arms to get on them before they got on you and he said by the end of his career it was like probably like the you know early part of the 2010s when the Bengals were kind of like one of the better teams he dropped that down to 34 inches and he says now it doesn't matter it's just can you move arm length that for offensive tackle and his opinion about what he's looking for. It's just, can you move? Because everyone found out that, Hey, you know, these 35 inch, 330 pound tackles are great in a phone booth, but all of a sudden you get them out in space trying to block Von Miller, trying to block Khalil Mack and it's lights out. So the position itself has changed to having to match those kind of guys, those kind of athletes uh, off the edge. And it's just, how do you use your hands? 
more much more so than how long they are because of just the power aspect has kind of gone by the wayside for a lot of teams about what they want in uh, edge defense. So that's why I think Pierce Gronsky still a great tackle. Flip side things, Nolan Smith, 239 pounds. He will join Hassan Reddick as the only sub 240 pound defensive lineman in the past 20 years. And even the Cardinals tried to move Reddick as an off ball linebacker. So I think technically Smith may be the only one, even though Reddick obviously turned out to be better on the edge, but 239 pounds, I, I really don't care uh, with, with his testing profile. I mean, he could put on 10 pounds of pure fat, right. And still be a four, four guy. And is still a high 30 inch vertical guy. So not that that's how, not that's how you want to play like defensive end, but it's still, it's, it's not a big deal to me. He's just like shredded this dude. He just has very low body fat and is tapped out uh, in that regard. So I'm not worried for the other reason being, he was the highest graded run defender in college football over the past two seasons on the edge. The highest graded. He was 239 pounds and the highest graded edge defender against the run. That's That just speaks to how he plays the game, right? I think he's going to go a lot higher than maybe people think because he's a guy who, in interviews, you sit down with him, talk to him at all. He is passionate about the game. He's going to be the best football player he can be, and that's something that coaches are easily going to buy into at the next level. I think for him as well, like obviously the weight, the weight is the concern. It's like under 240 pounds on the edge. That's not ideal. But the fact that he's six foot two is that's better than if he was like six four, six five, and lightweight. Like those are the guys that I have a real worry about. Yes, the guys that are long and thin and, and don't have any kind of bulk behind them. They have a really crappy track record recently. Being a relative, the Leonard Floyd's, yeah, yeah, the Leonard Floyd's or you know Arden Key, Kiki Mingo. Arden Key has turned into a pretty good pass rusher, but it's only because he's bulked up over the last like several years he sort of washed out um who's the uh Shaquille uh Calhoun the Michigan State oh uh, Shalik, Shalik Calhoun, Shalik Calhoun. or Kedis um, Mingo they were all kind of long yeah. lean whereas being like relatively compact at sort of 240 ish pounds I think is probably an advantage rather than the the long thin guy so it's really just a case of can you deal with how lightweight he is and Again, if you're going to be like that, you need to have the special offset, and he does. He's got insane bursts, get-off, vertical explosion. Like, all those numbers are 90-plus percentile. Like, that's what you need to offset that. Yeah, and I've not seen – and this is kind of something that's obviously more important nowadays. I've not seen a better run defender playing option runs. I mean, he is disciplined, and obviously his speed to get to the sideline uh he's as good as gets against us like it that's that's and that's a value add in today's nfl you know if you're in a division you can be in a division like the what the nfc east where you have multiple quarterbacks and maybe even sam howell is going to get utilized in the run game too that are off used in the run game that if you can shut down if you have a guy that can chase down jalen hurts a guy that can chase down daniel jones guy can chase down sam howell in space like that that just allows you so much more flexibility um in how you can play the run. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Okay, so when I was um, doing my mock draft on Monday, I, I reached this point in the first round where I'm like, I don't like any pick from here on in. Like, I, I, there's nobody I want to pick. I think there's like 20 players maybe that you want in the first round. And after that, you're like, you got to pick somebody, right? You would ideally in a, in, a, in a dream world, you'd love to trade down, but that requires somebody wanting to trade up and they have the same problem. So I sort of found myself looking at a bunch of these teams towards the bottom of the first round, the teams that are involved in this arms race right now to become Super Bowl contenders. The Chiefs are already obviously there. The Bengals trying to get over the hump. The Bills trying to get over the hump. All these teams that are trying to knock off Kansas City. And you're like, they are prime spots to me to trade down if they could. But if they can, look to trade up into that teens range and sort of target a guy that's just not going to last until their pick but they have the roster where they can go aggressive and start attacking these positions so the the trade I ended up making was Kansas City jumping up uh to 23 I think to grab um Darnell Wright and play right tackle but it occurred to me that there's this world now where I think a lot of these teams at the end of the first round could actually be quite aggressive and proactive and potentially trade up so I was curious on your take for players that would be targets for that, like players that teams would be looking to trade up to get in the first round, which is usually like the, the, the taboo. That's not what you do. You don't mm -hmm. trade up in the first round for a non-quarterback. Yeah, so I think there's two two realms. There are two different uh, aspects of this. One is I think the scarce positions are ones that you'll see teams trade up for. And it's just like they're going to trade up for the last one in a group. And so I think offensive tackle, it would very much surprise me if someone doesn't move up for one of these offensive tackles because you have Skaronsky, you got Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones, Darnell Wright, and then that might be it in terms of tackles people feel good about in the first round. I like Anton Harrison, too, in the first round range. Maybe not everyone does. But you could see a team towards the back end of the first round, maybe, say, the Bengals, and they really want an offensive tackle. They really need that. You know, you really, Darnell Wright's like on the board at 20, and you think maybe one of the teams there is going to pick him if he falls a little bit more. I could see very well one of those teams, the back end, Buffalo, Cincinnati, moving up for one of the tackles, maybe the last tackle that's on the board. That's one guy. I think then the other flip side of that, the other you know people that you trade up for are unique skill sets, right. guys with who maybe can't replicate what they bring to the table in this class that other guys can't. And so that to me is someone like a Jackson Smith, a Jigba at wide receiver. He is like a ready made NFL slot receiver that tomorrow will make an impact for your roster. Right. There's not a lot of day one starters, high end starters in this draft class of receiver. He's one. And so that, that to me could force someone's hand to move up for. And I feel similarly about Dalton Kincaid day one Ooh. impact tight end receiver. You want that in your offense? Good luck finding it any, anywhere else in this draft. After that, I could also see someone moving up for one of the defensive tackles like Kalisha Kansi, where if you want juice at the three-tech position, and now uh, Tommy Adabari is in this class too, Northwestern DT has it as well, but like not not the way Kansi does on a football field. Not He doesn't play the same way that Kansi does. So that's just another skill set that's unique enough that you just you just won't find second, third, fourth round if you don't get it in the first. The other thing I think that that prompts those trades sometimes is once a guy starts to slide, like the unexpected slide that you're not necessarily anticipating, 
a team all of a sudden goes, oh, wow, we didn't, we didn't expect to be in the range of even this being a possibility. So I kind of wonder, you know, Jalen Carter being an obvious potential slide candidate given his offseason so far, but like the closer we get to the draft, the more you're hearing Will Anderson might not be the best uh, edge rusher on, on boards. I, come on. I don't think, like, I think it's crazy. But that one, the whole, oh my gosh, I know he's a friend of the program, but the, the, <laughs> Chris Sims having him fifth almost oh, gave already, me an aneurysm. Yeah, we've already ripped his edge rusher rankings yesterday. Uh, Chris Sims is being particularly Chris Sims this offseason with his rankings. He's That's out there. I will say, though, so I went there looking yesterday. I, I pulled out the, the top two edge rushers that have been drafted in every draft since 2016, right? Mm-hmm. And just added them to an ultimate filter along with the top three or four guys this year. And obviously, you're obviously folding in all the sort of elite guy prospects like Miles Garrett, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young, but you're also bringing in a bunch of guys, um, Derek Barnett, uh, who were the other ones? Um, Jalen Phillips, Quiddy Pay. Yeah, Jalen Phillips, Quiddy Pay, Cleveland Farrell, um, a bunch of guys <laughs> like that, the ones that haven't, haven't necessarily bombed, yeah. but haven't been good NFL players, really. And mm-hmm. most of them, like their, their best season in college in terms of PFF grade, in terms of pressure rate as well, peaked above where Anderson has ever got to. So Anderson's peaked, you know, high 80s, reasonable pressure rate, or password rin weight, actually, I was using. Um, but most of those guys, like Cleveland Farrell got, his best season was a 90. Derek Barnett had two seasons with a 90-plus grade. Um, Quiddy Pay had, had a couple of really good seasons in there. Like, almost all of them, their best year. Shaq Lawson, I think, was one of those guys as well. Yeah, probably. Um, but, like, their best season got better than, than Will Anderson. Now, I think it's not apples for apples. Like, he had some things working against him that probably artificially depressed his grade a little bit. But I, I can see a world where you at least back away from the idea that he is a true, you know, blue chip elite edge rushing prospect now where i struggle is how far can you drop that in this draft where the comparisons are tyree wilson nolan smith like you know yeah that's it's like in this draft and and sure i can i can see a world where you where you're maybe a little down on will anderson but the production thing you were just talking about still better than still better grade than tyree wilson still better grade than will Anderson. uh excuse me uh nolan smith uh will mcdonald oh same Will Anderson, Will McDonald, uh, still a better grade than who, who was the third guy I had above Lucas Van Ness. Like it's in this class, he still is the top graded one right. as a pass rusher, and, and he was playing out of a, you know, four tech a lot last year, more so more than he did at any point in his career, and that's just like objectively not who he is. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. So like honestly, you can make. <laughs> the argument that everybody tried to make last year for Trayvon Walker actually applies a little bit to Will Anderson. Like they did not necessarily throw him in the best position to put up monster numbers and be just a pure <clears throat> edge rushing prospect. And if they did, maybe he's in that category with the the Bosa's and those other guys. Um, but I, yeah, I was going to say, whereas like the Bosa, like the Ohio State edge guys over the years were put yes on you know one on ones, just go attack on the outside. That was you know, why they look so good, and obviously why they got so good at rushing the passers because they were basically just rushing the way teams rush in the NFL, knowing that hey, just like you got to get to the quarterback, we can't just scheme rush you. <laughs> you know, 
uh, like a lot of teams do in college. It's also hilarious, by the way, just how gaslit everybody got with the Trayvon Walker talk last year. Like you see this when you draw it up this way and you look at basically the entire careers, like even these guys that are not good in the NFL had like a 90-plus pass rushing grade season somewhere in college. And then you've got Trayvon Walker with his just consistent 65 every year. And it's like, what were we even doing talking about this guy as like the number one pick in the draft? It's madness. Well, I, I mean, he is athletically yes. in a tier that like, doesn't exist. Agreed. Um, and that's what you're buying into. But but I do think the most damning thing was – or the, the the worst argument was that it's like, oh, that's Georgia's defense. Yes. Did you see Jalen Carter last year? You know, like that that was just Georgia's defense that they didn't want to rush the passer. It's like, did you see Jalen Carter last year? Um, did you see who was the edge rusher who uh, sadly was – it's not even in the NFL anymore. Never mind. I'm blanking on his name. But like they, that guy's producing. It was not just the scheme. Yeah. Like the, there were guys in the D line who were getting after it. It just was kind of, you could just say it. Like Trayvon was behind the learning curve. That's fine thing. to say. We like, don't have to make too many excuses for it. If you wanted to make the argument that, oh, he's the freakiest athlete we've ever seen, therefore I don't care what his production was, we'll figure it out. That's fine. But the argument that everybody was making of, Oh, we like the Georgia defense just isn't it's it's forcing him to do something that isn't letting him, you know, succeed at the next level. That was always ridiculous. And you could see that yeah. comparing him to players in that defense. You can see it comparing to basically everybody in this list as well. That was kind of crazy. But anyway, my, my original point with all this is I can kind of see a world where Anderson slips a little bit if there's a couple of teams that that dislike that. Um I could see a world where Devin Witherspoon slips a little bit. You know, I think a lot of people have him as cornerback number one, but the teams that covet other people at cornerback number one, so Gonzalez in particular, like the things that would make you worry about Witherspoon on his tape, independent of the one-year thing, would be like, is he that great an athlete? Like, can he really hang at this level against <clears throat> legit NFL people? And if you're in that questioning world – you're not going to have him in the top 10. You might have him sliding into the middle of the first round somewhere. Yeah, I, I do, though, think the Lions trading Jeffrey Okuda away was a little bit of a signal in my eyes that they might be going cornerback at number six. Yeah. And, you know, like, obviously, you're, you never say, you never pigeonhole yourself this early on, uh, you know, because if, like, Bryce Young falls to you, you're probably going to draft Bryce Young. Sure. But, I do think they made that trade knowing that they have corners they like in this draft. And Witherspoon, if you just watch this tape, watch what the Lions do, there's just the fit makes too much sense. So I'd be surprised. Like, I'd put the odds pretty heavily on him being pick six right now uh, if the board plays out chalky to start. One more name to throw at you. What if okay. teams traded up for B. John Robinson? Gosh, I mean, because here's the thing, right? There's there are a lot of people talking about does he go number eight to Atlanta? Does he go number 10 to Philadelphia? If he doesn't go there, you have this. And then the teams that make a lot of sense are the ones towards the back end of the first round Dallas, Cincinnati, a ton of teams in the late 20s. But that kind of middle world of the teens doesn't make a lot of sense for him to go to a lot of those spots necessarily. And yet, those teams that we talked about, the aggressive teams wanting to go over the top. Could they could they tempt themselves into this is the best player in the draft and he's available at pick number sixteen? I just don't see. It. I, I don't think <laughs> in today's day and age it's going to happen. Now, the Browns back in twenty twelve traded up 
to draft Trent Richardson number three overall. So it's not unprecedented that teams will make dumb decisions. But I just giving up more draft capital for running back in this running back class, I, I just I don't see it. I don't see it. In this economy? I can't get on board with that. Yeah. In this economy, just can't happen. All right. So <laughs> the last thing, uh, who is this year's Cole Strange going to be? Let me throw you some names that are yeah, all over them. my uh, my timeline right now. Some of them I've actually seen talked about before, mock drafts and stuff, and therefore can't be that crazy. So, for example, there's a bunch of Cedric Tillmans in this list, the wide receiver from Tennessee, the other wide receiver from Tennessee. I could see that happening. I wouldn't, but yeah, I could could see it. He ran the same three-cone. People were shitting on Quentin Johnson's (laughs) three-cone. They ran the same three-cone. Yeah, it's worrisome. In the world of like, so okay, what's our scale? Like, absolutely will never happen. Plausible, something in the middle. That's plausible. That I could see that happening in this wide receiver class. Okay, plausible. Yeah, I'll give it plausible. I wouldn't do it, but I could see it happening. Um, Uh What else we got here? We have a bunch of people actually saying uh, Johnny Mingo, the wide receiver from uh, Ole Miss. Oh man, I don't see that one. Uh, that one I don't see. I could see Tillman, Mingo. No, that one I, I don't even say. I don't even think plausible. I love Mingo a lot, and I don't really see that as plausible. I think that would be, you would have to buy into him to an insane degree to get him there. Um, yeah, Julius Brents, the cornerback from Kansas State. That's a pretty popular one. That one, I, that one's very plausible. Like I, that one would not surprise me at all. I know there's a lot of people who are big fans of him, and, and again, goes back to unique skill set. Six foot four corners. <laughs> yeah, is a unique skill set. Uh, so if, if that's something you want in your defense, it, you know, not every class you're going to find someone quite like that. It's a high end athlete with that size. So yeah, Julius Brents. That one. That one could happen. That one very well could happen. So both me and Steve have been pushing the idea of John Michael Schmitz going in the first round. But actually, a lot of the replies have been talking about the other two centers in the draft, either Joe Tipman from Wisconsin or Luke Whipler from Ohio State. Tipman, I could very well see. It would not surprise me whatsoever if someone back end around one, like even like the Giants, pulled the trigger on a center like that. So, yeah. Tipman's probably the most plausible one yet, I'll say. All right. Staying on the interior, there's a couple of guys um, mentioned. The guy that you brought up uh, the last show, I think, Chandler Zavala, the uh, interior uh, offensive lineman. Um, Has he got a shot, or is this just, you know, you're in the next band? That one I could see. Uh, He's a heck of an athlete. Now, he had the best pro day of any of the interior line class, in my opinion. Um, Obviously, had really good tape this past fall. Uh, I think if he played more than one season, you could see that. But I just think NFL likes guys who have played a lot of football. And obviously played D2 football, but who have played a lot against top competition, hasn't had that. So I I, I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. Um, we had quite a lot of replies playing a uh, playing the game, I think, because Byron Young was a, was a reply a lot. But nobody specified which Byron Young. So you get it has to, to be the Tennessee one. You get to give a shot of either one. And he's 25. So I'm going to go with no on that one. But a, a heck of an athlete. He goes day two somewhere. Um, the Tennessee one. Okay. DJ Turner. DJ Turner is probably one of the more probable ones here. Just because 426. That's Steve's you guy. Know, r- Steve loves him. Michigan corner. Uh, I worry about I worry about his size. I mean, he is 100, 100, under 180 pounds. And... 
legitimately had issues with it on tape already in terms of being pushed around a little too much. So that's that's my worry with him. But the athlete's insane. He, he'll go, if not first round, he'll go second round. Um, Tucker Craft, South Dakota State tight end. That one would very much surprise me just because it's hard to see him going over the log jam that is tight ends ahead of him, in, right. in my opinion. Like, I think pretty much everyone has Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer, and Sam Laporta ahead of him. We're going to see four tight ends go in the first round? I, I don't think so. I could see Sam Laporta come off the board in the first round, but Kraft running the way he did a full tenth of a second slower than Laporta, I don't think it's going to happen. We had our uh, our bets show yesterday, and there were a lot of kind of spicy takes about how many tight ends were going to go in the first round, particularly comparing it to like wide receivers. You know, there was that report, um, I forget who it came from, that basically there's one receiver that everybody loves, right? Jackson Smith and Jigba, and everybody else mm-hmm. is a second-round grade. So if if the NFL really is that sour on this wide receiver group, in the same year where this is like an all-time tight end class, maybe we do see a bunch of tight ends end up being pushed into that first round. Um, Antonio Maffi, the uh, guard from UCLA. Oh, no, that one's <laughs> not happening. He can't move, sadly. He, he doesn't have the lateral agility of a first-round guard. I, I bet he goes day three, truthfully. Oof, that's not ideal. Um, we've got running backs that aren't uh, Jameer Gibbs or Bijan? Slow. I mean, A-Chain would be the only one that I would even come to mind as a possibility just because, hey, you want the fastest running back in the NFL. That, that's, you know, A-Chain's got elite, elite speed. So, and that's, you know, that gets overdrafted. What's one trait that gets overdrafted consistently the most? Speed. Right. So I, I think he goes highly, but first round, I, I just I don't quite see there's, I can see him going to like Dolphins in the middle of the second, though. We got to have uh, UCLA fans in the replies because the other UCLA guard was mentioned as well. Um, John Gaines, no, right? It ain't happening. Matthew Bergeron, the tackle from Syracuse. Yeah, he's a wild card in that I see him as like a day two tackle, but there's only like two guys I even like as day two tackles. So oh, it, you know, you just you're going to overdraft them then it's it's the fact of life when there's not too many there's not a deep class you got to get it while you can so uh, if we do see a run you know we see everyone all the four i mentioned earlier anton harrison as well uh wouldn't surprise me if cincinnati's still like we still need one we're still going to draft one or the bills are like we still need one uh and then matthew bergeron might be next up um jatavius martin the corner from the other corner from illinois Ooh. I just don't see it. One, because safety is not that valuable. Like, safety doesn't go in the first round to begin with. But I love his tape. Heck of an athlete and probably, like, firmly middle-of-day two guy at this point. Um, that's probably it from the list. Anyway, so who's – if you had to okay. st- sit at your stall, who is the – who's this year's Cole Strange? Who's the complete random that somebody's going to pick in the first round? All right, there's three guys that I kind of highlighted as intriguing in that – mold one's Derek hall the auburn edge rusher i've not seen a lot of him to the first round but just because he's such a high-end athlete at such a premium position him i could see cody mock the north yeah. dakota state offensive lineman go in the first round just because again you have the, the the best athlete in the interior line class that was kind of like whole strange last year they just went ahead and drafted him uh, they're like let's do it 
Um, and then the last one that I could see sneaking into the first, where was it on my list here? Um, who was it? I've lost it. Oh, Darnell Washington, the Georgia tight end. Mm. I think he's gotten mocked there a good amount, though, but I could yeah. see him because, again, unique skill set, unique size. I don't know if he uh, lasts too long because of that. Yeah, Brent's, I think, is a good one. That, I think, is a good shout for a guy that just has freaky you know, ability mm-hmm. that could get taken that high. Um, God, I, I'm trying to think of a guy that would be completely insane but still vaguely plausible. I, I think I, I kind of come back to the wide receivers in this class because it's such a chaotic group where we're low on, like, surefire things outside of Jackson Smith and Jigba. The next group, a lot of people are down on. The next group, a lot of people have in all kinds of different orders. Like, I could see one of those sort of guys that are clear day two or three guys somehow getting drafted in the first round. Like, what if the league loves Marvin Mims? Mm. Something like that. That would be wild. Yeah. <laughs> It would, I mean, it's crazy. Like, I, I shouldn't be any chance of that happening. But, like, I can definitely picture a war room somewhere that is arguing Marvin Mims is better than Jordan Addison, and he should be a first-round guy. I mean, tested better than all the other guys in this right. class. So, we'll see. I would say it, though. <laughs> well, we've got a couple of weeks until we find out who is, the, uh, who is this year's Cole Strange. Anyway, Mike, that's going to do it for today's show. Me and Steve will be back tomorrow um, talking to uh, Dane Brugler and the the giant treasure trove of information that that man has. We'll also be talking to, uh, I don't think you know this actually, the founder of the S2 test, the cognitive test that, uh, that everybody's talking about right now. We're going to be talking to him later today and that will be Friday's show, I think. So we're going to find out exactly what they're measuring there, why it's better than the Wonderlick, why it's able to predict Brock Purdy, um, and who, you know, who this year's Brock Purdy is going to be. So that'll be useful for NFL teams before they head to the draft, I think. Yeah, tell him to give us a full list of all the numbers. I need to see these. Unfortunately, he already prefaced this by saying he was unable to confirm exact numbers, but can talk generally Piece about of shit. You know, Get him off the guys show. that did good or bad. So provoked. We'll see what we can tease out of him in terms of actual information. Uh, yeah. But that'll be Friday. Just do the thing where you're like, if... Um, if Bryce Young scored higher than 85, scratch your eyebrow, him. you know? Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Really just put him in a, put him in a blender there. <laughs> All right. So that'll be Friday show. Mike, good to talk to you as always. Uh, thanks for showing up. Take it easy. You're as well, Sam. We'll talk to you all tomorrow.